Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Great to see you this morning. Thanks for coming out on a long weekend. I believe God wants to speak to us today. Who loves the Word of God? Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence this morning. God, I thank you that your word is sharper than a double-edged sword. God, I thank you that today you want to speak to us fresh manner. God, from your word, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that your presence is here. Bless our time together in your wonderful name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis, chapter 1 and verse 2. So we've been doing this whole year of the soul. It's our theme for the year. God wants to give you a healthy soul. You know, many times in life we measure our success and what happens on the outside. But I don't know about you, I just don't want to be effective on the outside. I want to be peaceful and healthy on the inside. Come on, who believes that today? And, uh, you know, many people in life, you know, it looks, it looks like there's a great Instagram shot on the outside, but internally they're broken, they're fractured. They're not in a great place. It's not the way that God wants us to live our lives. And so we've been looking about some great keys about how to have a healthy soul. And uh, this morning, I want to take this out of Genesis 1 uh, verse 2 that talks about the days of creation. And this is day two. This is what the Bible says. It says, And God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. And so God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so that God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. The Bible says that he separates the waters of the earth and the waters of the sky. The firmament, the space between the earth's surface and the clouds. You know, that word literally means to spread by hammering, to stretch by forging. In other words, he hammers out an atmosphere that is conductive to human survival. He hammers out a culture, an atmosphere that actually makes us thrive and grow. Who knows what you can do without and a lot of things alive? You can do without McDonald's. You can do without chocolate. You know, funny, someone came to me this morning, I was fasting, and brought me a whole box of M&Ms. You can do without some of the luxuries of life, but you cannot do without air. I thought I'd get more of a response than that, you know. Some of you taking notes, you know, I'll do without air. He creates an atmosphere for us to thrive and grow a climate to sustain life. I love this. God is hammering out the details. He's forging an environment that is going to sustain His creation. You know, one of the things I've realized about life is that healthy atmospheres produce healthy souls. If you want a healthy soul, you've got to create a healthy atmosphere. And what I've realized is that healthy atmospheres in life take a while to hammer out. They take effort, they take thought, they take consideration about what we are going for. Healthy church culture, healthy cultures at home, healthy atmospheres in your home that are peaceful and loving and constructive that won't tear down but will actually pull people up. Those environments actually take 
work. You know, you think about some of your most valuable relationships, people that you've known for a while. You know, the people in my life that are the most valuable are not the ones that easy come, easy go. They come in, they walk out at the first offence. But good relationships are hammered out over time. Some of my closest friends, people that I would trust their value and their judgment and what they say about life, are people of wisdom. Uh, we've had conflicts. We've had discussions. There have been times that we have had a differing of opinion, but we have hammered out solutions. We've ironed out issues that could have derailed the relationships. Church, you know, those relationships are the ones that I'd want me in battle. Those relationships are the ones that I'd want to stand beside me. I don't need them to agree with me all the time, but I know that we've been able to hammer out a pathway to be effective for the kingdom of God. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You know what the word sharpen means? It means to make sharp. <laughs> what a great idea in life. When it comes to the people we love, you know, the homes that we want to protect, the, the relationships we want to foster and flourish in, these things are worth fighting for. But these things take a while. They hammer them out to actually get them right. Hammering out speaks of being careful, getting all the details right. I love what it says in Psalm 101 verse 2. David writes, I will be careful to lead a blameless life. The King James says, I will behave myself wisely. You know, it's interesting that that word in the Hebrew actually means a skill. In other words, it takes skill to lead a blameless life, not just intent, not just desire. Everyone has a desire to do well or a good heart, but an effort in getting it right. Sometimes in our own character, God is hammering out the issues that are stopping us from leading a blameless life. I was saying this to someone this week who'd failed in an area and they were disappointed and discouraged. I said, you've got to remember what the Proverbs says in Proverbs 24, verse 16. For though the righteous fall seven times, they get back up again. You know, it's something about the character that God wants to build in you is that you fall down, but you get back up again. You fail in an area. God is hammering out those areas that are being unproductive and unfruitful in your life. Come on, if you believe it, say amen. And the Hebrew idea here when God is hammering out the universe, He's stretching it out. It's not just one big hammer, but it's a constant tapping away. You know, often when we want change, when we want to change our environment or change the culture in our home, we often go for the one big hammer. I remember years ago, counselling a couple. They had a contentious marriage and they'd often struggle. And we suddenly realised that for years they'd have this big hammer approach. They'd be frustrated with one another. They'd be angry with one another. And there'd be silence. And they'd be passive aggressive. And there'd be nothing. They wouldn't talk. It'd build up, build up. <laughs> one big explosion. And then everything would settle down. They'd get frustrated and annoyed and get upset. <laughs> one big explosion. They'd think that they could fix their marriage with one big hammer. You know, when you approach life with a big hammer, you just break things. 
you know, let me say this as parents. What I've realised about my kids, changing culture in our kids, is not about the one big conversation. It's not about the one big hammer. It's the little tapping away of culture on a daily basis. Come on. It's the same thing in our marriages. If we want to have a fruitful marriage, if we want to have a healthy marriage, a marriage that will sustain over many years, it's not just about that one big confrontation and about that one big driving the point home. And I told them this and I told them that, but it's about the tapping away, the forging, the shapering, the hammering out the kinks, dealing with the stuff, ironing out the issues that are actually gonna fracture our soul. We get this as a picture of God hammering out an atmosphere that is an ability for us to thrive in that environment. I wanna give you six cultures this morning, six atmospheres that take work. You gotta ask yourself today, what are the things that are worth hammering out? What are the things that are worth that long-term consistent commitment to a personal culture? Six atmospheres in your life that are worth ironing out, hammering out, getting the details right. I put these six down because they take work. They take commitment. They take hard work. But let me say this. This, These six environments, these six atmospheres have an incredible power to create healthy environments around your life. Six tapping away, working on it, sculpting, shaping actions that will have a profound effect on the atmospheres of your life. Number one, the first one is this, the small consistent action of trusting God in all circumstances. The small consistent action of trusting God in all circumstances. You know, the reality is, no matter how long you've known the Lord, we all struggle with trusting God. There's often seasons that we believe Him, there are other seasons that we question Him. You know, the Bible says that when Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible says that, that when He appeared Himself to His disciples, some of them doubted. So what happens is we often hammer ourselves when it comes to our doubt, but the reality is they saw Him physically in the body, risen from the dead, and the Bible says that some of them still doubted, right? The reality is all of us tr- have trust issues when it comes to God. But why do I struggle with trusting God? I think there is a number of reasons, and we could probably preach on these all day. But I think the big one is, is that you and I often don't carefully think about trust. You've got to ask yourself the question, what would my life be like if I completely trusted Him? If my first response was trust, it wasn't my last response. If I crossed the line of trusting God in all circumstances, in all seasons, and and all environments, that I've had a revelation that I can trust God with my past, He's dealt with it. I can trust Him with my current situations of what I'm dealing with now, and I can trust Him with my future. Well, I wanna say this, that if you did trust Him, if there was a consistency of trust, my soul would be calm in the midst of every storm. There'll be a calmness in the midst of no matter what I go through. My confidence levels would rise in dealing with issues in my life. You know, one of the things I've realized that mistrust actually does, it actually cripples me. Mistrust robs me. My lack of trust makes the simple complicated. Many times you and I go through a season in our life and we make it so complicated because we just don't trust God with our future. 
We just, we add a whole bunch of layers and a whole bunch of difficult scenarios. I like this phrase that someone once sent the other day. They said, everything moves at the speed of trust. I've realized this, you know, there are many people in life that in order to produce even the smallest amount of fruitfulness, there's just this long runway. There's these long challenges. There's long stuff that it's going. And maybe, just maybe it's got to do with our trust. One of the revelations that I've had is actually looking at my mistrust in God and saying, you know, when I go through a hard time, mistrust keeps me up at night. Mistrust causes anxiety in my soul. Mistrust actually stops me from really putting my best foot forward because I'm always doubting. Mistrust actually cripples my effectiveness in being effective in ministering to other people. I've just made a decision. I don't want mistrust to be toxic to my soul. You know, many times we don't think deeply about trust. But when you have a consistent environment of trusting God, it brings health to your soul. If the Word of God is truth, then the closest thing that I can come to truth in my own life is to trust His Word more than what I feel. Come on. You know, I was reading this the other day. Scientists from the University of Adelaide have been awarded the prestigious Eureka Prize for the development of a clock. They can do far more than tell time. This winning clock is known as the Sapphire Clock. And it is the result of 20 years of research on behalf of these scientists. Officially known as the cryogenic Sapphire Oscillator, it is a thousand times more precise than anything that exists commercially today. How precise is that? Well, in the next 40 million years, the Sapphire Clock will only lose or gain one second. That's pretty good. So you've got a clock that's going to last 40 million years. The reality is, if that's the standard, everything else works towards that standard. You know, the Word of God is more accurate than that clock. You know, the Word of God over your life is more accurate than that clock. And every time you bring your alignment and your belief and your trust back into the Word of God, it brings alignment back into your life. Number two, the second one is this. It's the small, consistent action of gratitude. The small, consistent action. If you want to create a healthy environment that is a blessing to your soul, it's the small, consistent action of attitude. You know, no matter what stage of life you're in, that no matter what comes your way, you have just taken a position of being thankful, not a position of complaining and whinging and looking at all the negatives in life, but just taking a position. It doesn't matter what comes my way. I'm thankful to God for what He's done in my life. You know, just a daily consistent position of gratitude brings health into your soul. You know, as life grows, I think we often forget where we've come from. You know, what was valuable before, what was satisfying before, becomes now kind of old and dreary and tired and we become familiar with. You know, 2 Chronicles 1 verse 15 talks about the wealth of Solomon. The Bible talks about that Solomon was so wealthy, God blessed the nation of Israel so significantly. The Bible says the king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as the sycamore fig trees in the foothills. Think about it. it. There was so much of that stuff around. They were so wealthy. The gold and silver were treated like paving stones. What's the point? 
you know, what was so wealthy, had they just become familiar with? What was so valuable, they just become used to? And I would say in that environment of great blessing, it was the very thing that began to turn the heart of Solomon because he just became familiar with what God had given him. Let me say this, church life may not be perfect in Australia, but we are doing pretty good. We have an opportunity to preach the gospel. We have the opportunity to share our faith. We have an opportunity to freely worship Jesus. There are some countries that I go to that literally they are in closed doors worshiping God. Man, I've preached the gospel on rubbish dumps in some of the poorest parts of the world. And you know what? Praise God that God has landed us in this place. We must never, ever be familiar with what has been valuable in our lives. You know, I remember years ago when I first started in ministry and came out of the, the secular workforce and I rocked up to church and I was there. I used to start in the workforce at 7.30 in the morning. And so I just thought that's the time that people started. So I rocked up at church at 7.30 when well, no one was there, you know. <laughs> the cleaners were there. And I brought my own chair because they didn't have a good chair for me. I brought my own high back chair. My previous company allowed me to take my chair home. It was this cloth high back chair that you could swing back on. I honestly thought that I was like the bee's knees having that chair with me, right? And I brought that chair. I remember bringing my own computer from home. It wasn't those flat screen monitors back in those days. It was those big, bulky monitors. Some of the youth are going, what is that? You know, my 286 computer. My 286. It used to have 512K of RAM. And I set that up and began to, you know, program the, the way that we could do pastoral care in the church, you know. And, you know, these days we just want everything. We just want everything just go in our favour. I praise God for those days. I always remember where God has actually brought me from. You know, I remember growing up in a household where, you know, the, the, the environment, it wasn't exactly a, you know, a, a healthy, conducive environment. I mean, one of the big reasons that when I first met a franca that we quartered for three years. One of the big reasons why I just, I didn't want to take the next step because I just didn't think that my marriage would actually last. I remember seeing marriages around me that had failed and fractured and people were, you know, unhappy and sad and just caused so much pain. I thought, I just don't ever want that for my life. You know, and God gave me a revelation one day and said, you know, Matt, he said, you need to trust me with your future. You know, and, uh, you know, often in life you can, you, you can get caught up in so many other things. But praise God, I got a wonderful wife. Praise God that I'm healthy. Praise God that I'm living in Australia. Sometimes we forget the things that God has taken us from. Come on, who knows what I'm talking about? You know, we just... What was so wonderful back then, you know, marriages, you know, when you first get married, oh, it's awesome! 20 years later, Arr. we just be familiar with the, the gifts that God has given us, you know. I love what the psalm says in Psalm 8, verse 2 to 6. Through the praises of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies. Through the most vulnerable who are praising the Lord, you've actually established a stronghold. He talks about creation. He says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of him? Human beings that you care for them. You've made them a little lower than the angels. You've crowned them with glory and honour. You've made them rulers over the works of your hands. Listen, you have made them rulers. God creates a work and puts us in charge of it. It blows my mind. We cannot create anything. God has created the world 
and he says, I want you to look after it. Psalm 50 verse 14 says, make thankfulness your sacrifice to God and keep the vows that you've made to the Most High. Psalm 50 verse 23, but give thanks is a sacrifice that truly honours me. Let me say the greatest sacrifice that you can give to God is just simply saying, God, I thank you. Out of all the sacrifices, but he'd rather have your heart than have your hands. He'd rather have an attitude that says, God, I thank you. You're so wonderful. Praise God that you are with me than working for him, whinging and complaining. Come on. Right? A culture of gratitude. The third one is this. The small, consistent action, action of letting go. The small, consistent action of not allowing stuff to take root. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You know, often when we think of letting stuff go, we often see them as blocks or seasons in our lives where we say, you know, that was a big thing that I had to overcome and I let that go. Or that was a big challenge that that I had to let that go. And we talk about that in terms of major events. But you know what? Just having a culture of just letting things go when they arrive is an incredibly powerful, healthy environment that can bring blessing to your life. Someone offends you, I'm gonna let it go. Someone says the wrong thing, I'm gonna let it go. My boss really annoyed me last week, I'm gonna let it go. Last year I had some stuff that I went through, I'm just gonna let it go. I've just made a decision as a man and as a woman of God that I'm just not gonna live life carrying stuff along the way. I live in a fractured world, I deal with fractured people. Guess what? The church is full of people that love Jesus, but we are fractured. We've got our biases and our attitudes and our ways of doing things. You know, we're all the same. But we can just make a decision. You know what? I'm just not going to carry someone else's offence, someone else's annoyance, I'm not going to carry it when someone says the wrong thing. We live in a world that everyone gets outraged at the smallest possible issue. And the other thing is this, it's just not healthy for your soul. It just fractures you on the inside. You walk away and have no peace. You go over it, over it in your head a thousand times. I've just made a decision. You know what? I'm just not going to carry stuff. Love people, be kind to them, but I'm just not going to carry the stuff. Right? You know, all the major tenets of our faith, think about it, have this idea of letting go. Right? Think about it. Forgiveness is about letting go. You letting go of the past. You forgiving other people what they've done for you, right, to you. Repentance. Think about repentance. Repentance is about letting go. Repentance is basically saying, I used to walk this way. I'm now turning 180 degrees and now I'm walking the other way. What are you saying? You're saying, I'm letting go of my past. I'm letting go of past behaviours. I'm letting go of past hurts. I'm letting go of past, ad- I'm just walking away from that thing. One of the powerful things about the grace of God is that when you activate repentance in your life, the presence and the power of God comes through in such a significant way. When you give your life to Jesus, let me say this, there should be a, beha- a change in your behaviour. It may not happen overnight because we are a progress. We are still developing 
but there's got to be a change in attitudes. There's got to be a change in behavior. There's got to be a change in things. You were thinking one way. You were behaving one way, but you had a revelation of Jesus and you let those things go and now things are completely different. Think about surrender. Surrender is about letting go, isn't it? God, not my will, but your will. God, I surrender my life to you. You are the Lord of my life, Lord Jesus. All of these things that activate the power and the presence of God in our life is all about letting go. Can I encourage you, if you want to create a healthy atmosphere, just live a culture just letting go. I'm going to carry that. Hang on to that. I'm not going to allow what happened last year to fracture my soul. But I want to live clean. I want to live ready to go. I want my heart to be pure. I'm going to let it go. The fourth one is this. It's the small, consistent action of not letting go. You like that? Right? I thought I'd put that one in there. The small, consistent action of hope. One of my favorite passages in the Word of God is Job chapter 14, verse 7 to 10. I love this. At least there is hope for a tree. If it is cut down, it will sprout again. And its new shoots will not fail. Its roots may grow old in the ground and its stump may die in the soil. Yet at the very scent of water, it will bud and put forth shoots like a plant. Don't you love that? In other words, you look at that thing, you go, it's dead. There is no hope. It can never recover. But at the very scent of water, the buds begin to sprout again. Look what it continues to say. It says, but a man dies and is laid low. His breath is last and he is no more. What's the point? As long as you are living, there is hope. But the moment you die, trust me, you don't need hope. Because you're going to be with Jesus. Right? As long as you are living, there is hope. As long as, there is li- as long as you are living, you don't let go of what God has spoken to you about. Right? As long as you are alive, there is hope for the dream, hope for the purpose, the small, consistent action of not letting go, not letting go of the goal, the standard, the purpose that God has put in your heart. Every day, I'm not letting go. I'm tapping away. I'm hammering away at my dreams. I'm building this house brick by brick, line upon line, precept upon precept. I understand that good things are going to take time. I'm going to replace what I have let go with things that I should not let go of. Here's a thought. How about replacing bitterness with hope? How about replacing brokenness with dreams? How about replacing hurt with faith? How about taking the things that fracture your soul and actually replace them with the things that are going to bring blessing and favor and the anointing of God upon your life? Church, I've got to tell you, there's some things that you should never let go of. No matter how bad it looks, no matter whether that tree is dead in the ground, you should never let go of those things. You hang on to them until the day that you die. So this is what I'm going for. This is what I'm believing for. This is what I'm hoping for. You know, they did this analysis of of high performers. If you want to add a a carnal part to this whole idea. And they did an analysis of some of the world's top performers across all fields, right? There's heaps of these studies around. You can look them up on the internet. The common denominator was this, for people that actually achieved their goals. The goal rarely changed, but the approach changed all the time. We get locked into an approach and we go, that's the only way. There could be 10 other ways to achieve that goal and that dream. 
You know, we look at it as a church, the way we're going to reach the lost, the way we're going to touch the community. You know, keep going for things, trying things, going after things. The goal doesn't change, but our approach actually does. You know, and the things that God has put in your heart, maybe He's wanting you to change your approach. Maybe He's wanting to hammer out some of the unproductive areas. Maybe He's wanting to forge some of those areas that are just not being blessing and rather just writing it off and saying, you know what, that dream is dead. That dream is gone. Maybe you need to change your approach. Maybe you need to change your method. Maybe you need to change the way that you actually go after that thing and allow the Holy Spirit to give you fresh eyes and bring a fresh revelation of some of the things that you are actually going for. Let me encourage you, the, the, the idea of not letting go is a daily thing. Every day I get up and in my prayer life, I have a list and I go after that list. God, will you open those doors? God, will you bring breakthrough? God, will you bring deliverance? God, will you shift things? God, will you give me wisdom on how to deal with some of these things that I'm finding very, very hard? I know you want me to get there, but I don't know how to break through. Right? The small, consistent action of not letting go. Right? The fifth one is this. Almost done. The small, consistent action of going for personal victories in your daily life. Small, consistent victories. I don't think the way that I used to. I don't respond the way that I used to. I don't talk the way that I've used to. I've shifted. God has given me a victory in these areas. And this is the thing. It doesn't matter whether people don't notice. It's done something in you. Psalm 18, verse 29, David writes, With your help, I can advance against the troop, and with my God, I can scale a wall. Verse 30, in the original translation, says, For through you, I rush at a barrier. Through you, I rush at a barrier. Through my God, I can vault a wall. See, David is saying he has a personal culture of not shying away from breakthrough. He has a personal culture of not moving away from victory. Often we shy away from potential breakthroughs because we're scared that we're going to fail. So we actually don't stretch ourselves. We actually don't put ourselves in a position to really grow and develop because we say, I can't do that. I can't achieve that. I can't overcome that. I'm not too sure whether God is really going to come through for me. But what David writes is he says, I rush towards the barrier. I'm not going to shy away from the potential victory. I'm going to draw myself to the actual victory. It becomes a normal part of David's life. Look what David says to King Saul when he's going out to meet Goliath and Saul has given some of his worldly wisdom. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 34 to 36, and after Saul has spoken, David gives Saul this answer. He said, well, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bearer came, it carried off the sheep from the flock. I went after it, I struck it, I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. You know, when David protected the sheep, he didn't have one battle, he had many. We're talking about one bear, one lion. Right? But he had many, many little victories, many little breakthroughs, many little overcoming situations, many little conquering moments. Create a culture where you actually value the little victories. You see, they were private. No one ever knew, but David knew. But let me say this, the multiple little victories 
actually built a confidence and a security in him. When the big one came, he went after it. You know, many times you want to go after the big ones, but you're just not consistent in the little ones. Be consistent in the little ones. I'm going to have little victories. Write down the little victories that only you will ever know. Things that you want to go for. I want to have a little victory in my thought life. I want to have a little victory in my habits. I want to have a little victory in my attitudes. I want to have a little victory when someone has a go at me that it's not going to go deep, but I'm going to stand strong and I smile and it's going to be okay. I'm going for little victories. Guess what? The more little victories you have, the more confidence you have for going after the big thing. David refers to his little victories as an argument to overcoming Goliath. But many times in life, when we are facing Goliath, which that day will come, we have no little victories to back us up. Let me say this, no one will ever know. It doesn't matter, only God knows because it's actually shaping and building and developing something in you. Little victories, little breakthroughs consistently throughout your life. What are the little victories for you? Hmm? This morning I woke up, my depression was lifted. Today I didn't allow that situation to rob my joy. Last night that disappointment didn't go deep. Little victories, private victories. Creating a culture in your personal life. You know, when I go and minister overseas, I always have, honestly, I have, I, have per, I have goals for the church that I'm preaching at, right? Pray for souls and, you know, that people get ministered to. But I also have little private things that I go for myself. All right, God, I want a higher level of, of the prophetic. I want to be more accurate than I've ever, ever been before in the gifts of the Spirit. Right? So little things that I go for, little goals that I go for. So what I do is I put myself out there. Right? I don't shy away from a potential victory. Many times we think we're going to get ridiculed if we put ourselves out there. The only way that you know is actually put yourself deep in. Right? And there have been times that I have seen God move in a phenomenal way. Stuff that I would never know about people's lives. That God has just used me in the prophetic because I've made a decision I'm not going to stay at that level, but I know there are greater victories to conquer. There are greater things that can sharpen my focus when it comes to the things of God. Come on, who knows what I'm talking about today? But I want to say this to you. This 21 days of prayer and fasting allowed to sharpen and develop your walk with God. You'll be amazed at what God actually speaks to you about, right? We're almost done. The sixth one is this, right? It's the small, consistent action of being kind to others and to yourself. Proverbs 11 verse 17 says, those who are kind benefit themselves, but the cruel bring ruin on themselves. So how can I define kindness? Well, probably by this phrase. Kindness doesn't expect anything in return. Right? If you're kind to someone and you expect a reciprocal approach, that's not kindness, that's a transaction. That's you, I'll do something for you because I'm expecting payment by what you do for me. But when you are kind, with nothing in return, there is no expectation. There are no strings attached. There is no, 
sense of, you know what, well, you better do this for me. There is nothing at all. I've just made a position in life that I am going to be a kind person. It's my personal culture. It's who I am. My kindness is not dependent on your kindness. My kindness is not dependent on the world's kindness. My kindness is not dependent on the environment that I'm in. I've just made a decision that my personal culture of who I am as a man or a woman of God, I am just going to be kind. You know, when you do that, you know, the Bible says that when you do that, you are blessed out of that. When you just take a position, I'm just going to be kind. You know, I pray that God raises a generation of business people and ministers and people that are preaching the world and people that are, you know, are just being influential right across all spheres of society. I pray that our church raises a group of successful people, but are not successful people on the outside, but are absolute mongrels on the inside but are people that are kind on the inside, right? The second idea is this, right? Is that you're actually kind to yourself, right? That you're actually kind to yourself. So, you know, King Saul, and I want the musicians to come, King Saul was a king who should have been, could have been, but never was. Never was. First king of Israel anointed, right, set apart, right? God had plucked him out of obscurity, just took taking him out. He was not part of a royal bloodline because there was no royal bloodline. Just would pick you, right? He could have been one of Israel's greatest kings. He should have been one of Israel's greatest kings, but he never was. I used to always question that. I wonder why he never, ever made the grade. And one of the things that you notice about King Saul is that every time the pressure was on, every time things were, you know, when he really had to step up, he just had the inability to step up to the mark. And often a lot of that had to do is with his trust in God. God would ask him to do things and he would only give a half-baked effort. He wouldn't go all the way. Uh, when Samuel speaks to him at one of the very last times that he gives him an instruction. He says, to obey is better than sacrifice. That's where that phrase comes from. King Saul would sacrifice certain things thinking that could appease his lack of obedience, right? This last time Samuel comes to King Saul and he says, hey, I want you to wipe out, I think it was the Amalekites. He goes, I want you to wipe them out. They have been a pain in Israel's history. We wanna deal with this problem. We wanna deal with this thought in our side once and for all. You gotta wipe them all out. but..." All the livestock you cannot keep for yourself, you've got to wipe all that out as well, right? What does King Saul do, right? Because he wants to look good in front of his men, he keeps the livestock, right? It's because, you know, they fought a war. These are the spoils of war. He wanted to keep the spoils of war. He wanted to look good in front of his, his, his fellow armour bearers. And uh, Samuel comes and he goes, how'd you go? And Saul goes, I obeyed the Lord, I obeyed the Lord. And he said, well, how come I can still hear the bleeding of sheep and goats? <laughs> like, I shouldn't be hearing anything if he actually did what the Lord asked you to do. And then he said, to obey is better than sacrifice. But he makes this statement in 1 Samuel 15, verse 17. And Samuel told him in the, in the New Living Translation, he says, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. Although you think little of yourself. You know, 
King Saul's fractured identity was the very thing that was his undoing when the pressure was on. His lack of fortitude on the inside, his lack of confidence that God had anointed him, his lack of confidence, his false perception of himself about who he thought he was in the kingdom of God did not help his cause. Church, sometimes we are so derogatory towards ourselves. You know what? The greatest voice that we battle with is not the voice of other people telling us that we're idiots, but it's a voice that we say to ourselves that I'm hopeless. I'm no good. I can't do this. Why did I fail again? I'm a disaster. Why did I, was I ever born? My God, I've made so many bad decisions. Someone once made this statement and said, the quality of your life is the quality of your communication communication that you speak into your own world. You know what? You've got to be kind to yourself. You've just got to back off. If God loves you for who you are, you just have to accept that. You know, you've got to back yourself. You've got to be confident in God's anointing and purpose and plan for your life. Stop going around that same circle. Stop trying to identify because of your past that this is now gonna be indicative of your future. Mate, God loves you. You are a child of God. He has put His hand upon you. You have been adopted into the kingdom of God. He loves you. He cares for you. He has anointed you. He is with me. David writes, though an army is against me, you know what? My confidence will not wane. I have confidence, not who I am, but because of who God is. You know what I love about the Word of God? What I love about the Word of God is that it's warts and all when it comes to people's failures. See, we know that the Word of God is true because you don't have the sanitized version. Often you read a biography, it's the sanitized version. Oh, these people are like God, they're amazing. In the Bible, you see about David's failings, about Joseph and his arrogance. You see about Gideon and his small faith. You look at Peter who just couldn't keep his mouth shut. You look at all these different types of Paul who persecuted the church. Right? You've got all these people who had major, major, major character flaws and yet God backed them, God put His hand upon them and through that they were able to change. But they recognised they were different before and now after. You've got to recognise with God you can do all things. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can't do them on their own but with God you can do all things. Stop being unkind to your abilities and start trusting that God can do something powerful, something good, something blessed, something healthy out of your life. That's true humbleness. That's true humbleness. When you reckon, I can't do this without God. But if God backs me, you know what? I know that with God, I can do anything. With God, I can do anything. You understand what I'm saying today? You know, we always want to love other people, but if we try to love other people out of a fractured soul, it's just not going to work. There has to be a confidence on the inside that God is with us at the same time. And you know what? Just creating that healthy culture around your life is awesome. I'll tell you the truth, there have been times that I've had to minister overseas that I felt completely inconfident, that I have felt completely out of my depth, that I've even thought these people, they're going to go, what the heck is this guy going to say to us? But as I'm in my prayer line, walking up and down saying, God, thank you that you have anointed me. I don't feel like it, but thank you you have anointed me. Thank you that you've made me confident. Thank you, God, that I'm going to move in power. Thank you, God, that you're going to give me prophetic words. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, right? I'll be honest, I don't feel like it. 
I feel scared stiff, but I've just made a decision. I'm not going to take that position. I'm going to take the position that if God backs me, I'm going to go for it in the things of God, you know? All right, we're done. Consistent cultures, eh? Hammering out healthy cultures. They take effort. They take time. Good things do not come easily. A healthy culture of gratitude. A healthy culture of little victories. I do want to pray for you this morning that God is going to give you little victories this year. Little constant victories. That you look back at your year and it has been a year of a thousand victories. Of a thousand little victories that you have conquered. Church, people may never know, but you know that something has shifted on the inside. There is a boldness. There's a confidence. There's something that God has done in you because of the private victories that He's made you walk. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.